Well, for the past 21 days, if you've been with us, you know that we've embarked on a journey of growing closer to the Lord. And the way we have done that is through 21 days of fasting and prayer. And we wanted to do that leading up to Easter. That way that Easter Sunday would be the culmination, the day that Jesus rose from the grave, that we ended our time of praying and time of fasting. And if you have joined us in that, then we know that it has been an enriching experience for you. We know that it has been a time to put your focus on God and on on Jesus and what he has done for us. So we're going to have a time of prayer, and I'm going to ask you if you're able to kneel where you are. We're going to close out our 21 days of fasting and prayer by praying together with one another. So just kneel right there where you are, and we will pray to the Lord. Our Father who is in heaven, you're a good Father. You love us unconditionally, and you proved that love when you sent your Son, Jesus, to take our place on the cross. Father, you are full of mercy. You are full of compassion. You are the Father that all of us desperately need. And your name is worthy. Your name is worthy to be praised. You are great. You are powerful. You're the king of the universe, Father. You hung the stars. You dug out the oceans with your hand. And just like the psalm tells us that everything that has breath should praise your name. And that's exactly what we want to do here on Easter is with all of our breath and all of our being is praise your name for who you are because you are good. You're the source of light and the source of love. Father, we just ask for provision. We ask that you give us our daily bread, everything we need, whatever that is in our life. You know, each one of us personally, if that's spiritual healing, Father, we pray for that. If that's physical healing, we pray for it. If it's financial provision that someone needs, God, we pray that you give us our daily bread, and we know that only you can provide for us, and we trust you. God, we ask you to forgive us where we've fallen short. We pray that, God, we know that you will forgive us and that we search our hearts and you show us our hearts and where we need to turn back to you. And give us the strength to forgive other people, to love other people just as you have loved us. And Father, we know that all power and all glory and all honor is due your name. And that you proved that that morning when Jesus rose from the grave, that you were who you said you were, that you were powerful, that you were worthy of praise, you were worthy of glory, and you brought your kingdom to us. You wanted us so much, you came to us, and we thank you for that. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
God, may you receive all the honor and praise here today. Praise forever to the King of Kings. May Jesus be lifted up. On this beautiful, wonderful day, the sun has risen. What a glorious day that we get to celebrate. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. And as you're seated, children, it's children's time. So come on and make your way down here to Raymond. Come on down, children. Marcus, what do you have, man? Does that guy have a name? Hopper? Looks like a good name. You guys come on down. You, you ditched me in the first service. Is there something happening after the second service? What's that? What's going to happen after this, after this service? Easter egg hunt. Yeah, that's why nobody in your age came to the first service. They, they're, yeah, they're focused on that. If you guys had been here earlier, you would have seen something pretty cool. When I got here about 8.30 with Miss Michelle, you know what was out on the front lawn? No, eggs weren't there yet. There may have been some eggs because there's something out there. Yeah, there's chickens and roosters out there on the front yard. And some of them may have laid an egg out there. So be careful when you're out there looking for eggs, okay? But we really did have some chickens and roosters out there. It was kind of wild, especially on Easter. Well, I'm glad you're here. And I got something very special to give you. I want you, everybody to get one of these. Take one. It says Easter. It says Easter story on there. Want to pass those around? Just take one and pass it to the people around you. Can you do that? Make sure everybody gets one. And I want to tell you why these things are kind of special. Ivor, are you just going to hold them all to yourself? You can pass them around. Make sure that everybody gets one. We just get one. And if we have extras, we can have two. But just make sure that everybody gets another one. And you can just hold on to those for right now. And I'll go ahead and pass those around <laughs> over here. You guys get some? Drop them over there. Can I borrow just a couple of yours? There we go. Make sure everybody gets some. Do you all to get some down there? Everybody get one? Okay, there's some coming this way. Everybody pass them around. Got them? All right. So when we get home today, parents are going to be talking about sharing, right? Good lesson that, that Easter talks about. Thank you so much for you guys getting that. Now, I want you to try to figure out why these are so special. They're, they're not real fancy, but it tells the Easter story. But I want you to figure out why they're so special. Anybody have an idea? I bet you'll never guess. It's kind of a hard question. The reason these are so special is these belong to my dad. And my dad had these when he died. He was giving these out to boys and girls like you. And then he died a couple of years ago, and he left these. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool for me to give you something for my dad today on Easter? Because Easter reminds us of two very important things. Because Jesus came back to life, he rose from the dead. Because of that, Jesus will live with us in this life. Well, you can have all four of them. It's a bonus day for you. But because Jesus rose... He lives with us in this life, and when our life in this life is over, we get to live with him in heaven. 
So my dad had Jesus live with him while he was on this earth. And then after he died, he got to go and live with Jesus. So I wanted you to have these special tracks to tell the Christmas story to remind us that Jesus lives with us if we ask him to in this life. And then we can live with him after this life because of what he did on Easter. I hope you'll color it, read the story, and make it a very special memory of this Easter. And while I'm talking in just a minute, would you make sure your parents stay awake? Okay? Because I've, I've got a lot of things to stay, and they might get kind of tired, so you make sure they stay awake, okay? You can go to sleep, but just make sure your parents stay awake, and I'm not sure how all that's going to work. So let's pray. How's that? And, and just see what God might do. God, we thank you for what Easter means. My goodness, it is more than just a holiday. It reminds us that you have come to live with us in this world, in this time, in our life. And when our life on, on earth is over, because of Easter, we get to go and live with you. Help us to understand that. And we pray that as we go through this message, Lord, you'll help all of us to hear what we need to hear, that you would speak to us personally. You would help children as well as adults and teenagers and students for all of us to comprehend what Easter means to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, I'll see you guys at the Easter egg hunt. Thank you. That video is reflective of how so many of us felt last year when we couldn't meet in church buildings to celebrate Easter. In a sense, for all of us, it kind of felt like Easter had somehow been, been canceled. Uh, who would have ever imagined that Easter of 2020 would be canceled, that churches would be closed for the celebration of Jesus' resurrection? Now, as we gather today, it's surreal to think the last time we came together for Easter was April 21, 2019. That was two years ago. The phenomenon of not being able to meet for Easter is hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime experience for all of us. Yet as bizarre and as unusual it was for us to be sitting at home on Easter 2020, the cancellation of Easter regularly occurs for many people. Our response to this cataclysmic event in history can cancel out the effects of Christ's resurrection in each one of our lives. Now, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul would write that we can really know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it declares that Jesus' resurrection proves to us that he really is 
the Son of God. And then Romans 8, 11 says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead actually lives in those who follow Jesus Christ. So if we believe that, we can actually know Jesus and experience his supernatural power in our life. But if we don't believe that, we cancel out the greatest opportunity of our one and only life. Now, there are obviously plenty of people who flatly deny the resurrection of Jesus, and they, they cancel out the benefits of having a relationship with God. And, and that's their prerogative. I would sure love to be able to try to change their mind, but it's their choice to make. But many other people cancel out the benefits of Easter for their lives in less deliberate and far more subtle ways. And we've gone through the first six chapters of John as we're studying the fourth gospel. And today we're going to jump to chapter 20 as John talks about the resurrection. And he helps us to see these subtleties that unwittingly cancel out the joy and the power of Easter in our lives. John concludes this chapter, chapter 20, with that purpose statement that we've talked about a number of times. He says, this was my sole purpose in writing this book, that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life in his name. So let's take a, a look at three screenshots of how two individuals and one group temporarily canceled out the significance and power of Easter in their lives. The first is Mary Magdalene. From her experience, we're going to see that conventional thinking can cancel the benefit of Easter in our lives. Let's pick it up in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary began her journey to the tomb where Jesus had been buried before the sun even came up. And Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon and Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, and listen to this phrase. You're going to hear it three different times. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So consequently, Peter and John, as we will know, started running to the tomb. Both were running, and the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, and he looked in to see the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Peter got there, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw that the strips of linen were lying there, and as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he went inside. He saw and he believed. But verse 9 tells us they still didn't understand what all this meant, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. We're going to find out in a few minutes where it was that they went back. So we have Mary. She's at the tomb with Peter and John. They've looked inside. They can tell that something has happened, but they're not exactly sure of what. And then Peter and John go back to be with the other disciples, and Mary is left there at the tomb. And if you want to follow along, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can pick up the, the pew Bible in front of you. It's on six, page 1685. So it says in John 20, verse 11, 
Mary is standing there at the tomb, and she's crying. She's weeping. So she bends over and looks into the tomb, and she sees two angels. They're all in white. One is at the foot of where Jesus was, and one is at the head. And they ask her, woman, why are you crying? And for the second time, she says, they've taken the Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. So Peter and John have left the tomb. She's been looking into the tomb at angels, and then she turns around and she sees Jesus, but doesn't realize who it is. And so she says to him, thinking that he's the gardener, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. Then Jesus said to her, Mary called her by name. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, I know you. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. He's saying there's more important things than holding on. He's not trying to brush her aside. He's saying what I need for you to do right now is go tell the disciples. Let them know that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene then leaves the tomb. She runs to where the disciples are, where Peter and John had gone back to, and she tells them, I have seen the Lord. She told them all that she had experienced. It's hard to imagine anyone caring for Jesus more than Jesus. But Easter initially escaped her because of her conventional thinking. Conventional thinking is basically thinking what is popular or accepted in a particular culture. It's not necessarily bad. It just has inherent limits. Notice at three different times, Mary says, they've taken Jesus' body away. She said that to Peter and John in verse 2. She said it to the angels in verse 13. And she said it to Jesus when she thought he was the gardener in verse 15. See, conventional thinking or wisdom, as we like to say, has no category for miracles or the resurrection. See, on three different times, three different occasions, Jesus had raised someone back to life from the dead. Most notably was Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. But the difference was Mary knew that Jesus had been there. He was the one that did it each time. But what was different this time is that Jesus is gone. And so she doesn't believe that he can be raised back to life. In the midst of her conventional thinking that that can't happen, she is overwhelmed with grief. It tells us three different times in this passage that we read that she's weeping. She's not just crying. She is weeping, verse 11, 13, and 15. Because for her, in her conventional thinking, the only explanation is someone took his body. Even though Jesus had promised that he would be resurrected, that didn't fit into conventional thinking. It defied it. So until she began to see things differently, the joy, the benefits of Easter were all canceled out in her life, and she wept. You know, a lot of people cancel the effects of Jesus' work in their lives because the resurrection doesn't line up with conventional thinking or their thinking. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he said that God has taken the wisdom of man and he's made it foolish. 
It says that the foolishness, the, the resurrection is foolishness to those who refuse to believe. Miracles like the resurrection, they're deemed impossible if all you have is a filter of conventional wisdom or thinking to see through. Conventional wisdom pushes Jesus to the category of good teacher or famous religious leader, but not the resurrected Lord who can redeem us from our sins and change our life. We live in what's known as cancel culture. Conventional thinking doesn't have a place for absolute truth like the resurrection. There's so much evidence for the resurrection. But in cancel culture, there is no room for absolute truth. If you say that, that it's your truth, if you have truth, you're considered to be arrogant or bigoted or biased. We've come to believe that everything is relative. But it's interesting to discover where that concept began. Albert Einstein used the word relativity to explain scientific understanding. But he chafed at the way his term was hijacked to philosophically explain life. It was in a, a 1929 interview, 14 years after advancing his theory of relativity, that Einstein said, listen to this, the meaning of relativity has been widely misunderstood. Philosophers play with the word like a child with a doll. He, then he talked about the specific application of relativity to the sphere of mechanics and physics. And he declared, and listen to what he said, it does not mean that everything in life is relative and that we have the right to turn the world mischievously topsy Turvy. See, Einstein understood things in a much deeper level than, than any of us. And he readily understood that there are things that are true and there are things that are not true. The evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, that defies conventional thinking. But unless we embrace that truth, it does us absolutely no good. It's much like what happens, what is happening to Jean Pouchain. She's a 58-year-old French woman who is trying to convince her government that she's alive. In the year 2017, a judge declared her to be officially dead, and she's been trying to prove her viability ever since. The declaration of her death has canceled out her ability to work, to get insurance, to drive, or even use a bank. She's even appeared before numerous judges with a certificate from her doctor saying that she is, in fact, alive, but to no avail. Puchain explained she can't do anything because, quote, I no longer exist. Her lawyer is trying to have the ruling reversed, but he noted the challenges when he said, quote, when an error is so enormous, it's hard to admit. In similar fashion, when we think about Jesus and the resurrection, the evidence is all around us. Yet some simply find it, quote, too hard to admit. And in so doing, 
They cancel out the benefits of what Christ could do in their life. It doesn't fit into conventional thinking. And so my question today is, do any of us, or any of us, canceling out the benefits of Christ in our life because of conventional thinking? Because a miracle like the resurrection doesn't fit in to the way our culture or it fit into the the logical explanation of our own mind. The second screenshot is of the disciples. And their experience shows us that fear can cancel out the benefits of Easter in our life. Let's look at it together in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. It says, on the evening of that first day, so we go back, this is Resurrection Sunday. Peter and John went to the tomb early that morning. They went back to be with the disciples. And here it is that evening, same day, on the evening of that very first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Good thing he did. That was a creepy moment. I mean, they saw Jesus die. Peter and John knew that something had happened, but they could not put into their category the idea that Jesus was resurrected. And so Jesus says, now that I came through the locked doors without you having to open the door, and I'm standing here before you, peace. And after he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. God's not trying to hide the evidence from us. The evidence is all around. And Jesus says, look, look at the evidence that I was crucified, that I did die, and now I am here before you as a resurrected Lord. It's amazing. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw that the Lord had risen. And again, Jesus said to them, trying to lower their their pulse rate and get their blood pressure down, he says again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. See, Peter and John knew that something was up when they went to the tomb and saw that it was partially empty. John goes into elaborate detail to tell us that Jesus was buried according to Hebrew tradition. That meant that his body was wrapped with yards and yards and yards and yards of material, much like a mummy or putting it in a cocoon. It wasn't like they, they put him in a tomb in a casket or they just put a, a cloth over him. The way that they would bury is they would put spices on the body and then they would wrap it with multiple layers of cloth going around and putting spices in between. And when they looked at the partially empty tomb, they knew that the body of Jesus had not been stolen because nobody would have come and taken the time to unwrap yards and yards and yards and yards of material before taking his body. But because they didn't understand that Jesus had been resurrected, they temporarily lost the joy and were overwhelmed with fear. You see, Jesus was resurrected, and that meant for them they were forever changed. But because of fear, it kept them from appropriating the power of the risen Lord in their lives. See, fear can cancel out the power of Christ in our lives in in multiple ways. And probably the the two most obvious ways that fear affects us are, number one, the fear of what others might think or say if we follow Christ. The Harvard Business School magazine called The Harvest 
introduced a new term in the year 2004, and it's a term that's nearly worn out its welcome in our culture, FOMO, fear of missing out. They were using it to describe a, a phenomenon among students in campus life when they felt like they couldn't do everything, and so they had this fear of missing out on something at school. A more recent companion to FOMO is FOPO, fear of people's opinions. It's rampant today, as we've all become more tentative about what we say for fear of the repercussions of our words. See, the disciples were overcome not only with fear, but the fear of people's opinions. And not only that, but what could happen because of those opinions. They knew Isaiah 8.13 tells us, do not fear anything except the Lord Almighty. He alone is the Holy One. And if you fear Him, you need fear nothing else. They knew that intellectually, but they hadn't experienced that personally fear of what other people might think or say, and the fear of having to change. See, this is a hard concept, especially in the Western world. When you become a Christian, there is the expectation that you change. And more appropriately, more accurately than us changing is God changing us from who we are to who he wants us to be so that we would be like him. Giving God an all-access pass to our life can be terrifying. But until we do, we will never know unbridled joy within our life. So because of fear, the disciples weren't out in the streets celebrating the greatest event in human history. Instead, they were hiding behind locked doors. For us, Is fear canceling out the power and joy of what Christ has done for each of us? The third screenshot is that of Thomas. And we can see from his experience that doubt can cancel the benefits of Easter in our life. Let's pick it up in verse 24. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, and there's some very interesting commentator responses to this. Uh, Some say that physically he was a twin, had a twin. Uh, But others think that maybe that it was talking about his personality in the fact that he was very loyal to Christ. In fact, when they were going back uh, to where Lazarus had died and everybody was against him, Thomas said, well, let's go and we'll die with him. He was very loyal. But then he was also a doubter. And so the question was, which one are you today? And so it says that now Thomas also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples that first day when Jesus came. So the disciples went and they found Thomas. And they said, Thomas, exclamation point, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas, listen to what he says. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Hmm. Thomas absolutely refused to believe that Jesus had been resurrected unless he could physically touch the wounds in his hands and in his side. 
So we find that for a solid week, he canceled out the joy and the power of celebrating Jesus' resurrection and didn't experience that supernatural power in his life. Look what it says, though. It says that in a, a week later in verse 26, his disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. And through the doors, were, even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again. He's already done this before. Here he comes back again, and he says the same thing, peace be with you. That might have been for Thomas's sake. The other guy said, hey, we've seen the drill. And maybe Thomas said, whoa. And then he says to Thomas, okay, you doubt. I'm all right with that. Put your hand right here. Right here. He doesn't deny him the opportunity, but, but Thomas doesn't even seize on it. He looks at him and he says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says something interesting to him. He says, because you've seen, you believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen, yet believed. That's a great promise to us. You see, it's been appropriately noted that there's nothing wrong with doubts. If we have a disposition for finding the truth, the trouble comes when we let our doubts stop us from pursuing the truth. As we see earlier in the first part here is that Thomas was defiant in his doubts. And because of that, it left him on the outside of Easter's benefits. Antony Flew was one of the most outspoken atheists of the 20th century. He wrote prolifically and admonished people to presuppose atheism. He exhorted people, everyone, to start with a presupposition that there is no God. That's what he believed, and he wanted everyone to think like that. While he was at Oxford in the 1940s, he presented his paper on atheism to the Socratic Club, which, interesting enough, was chaired by C.S. Lewis. The gathering, the Socratic Club, took its name from Socrates' admonition to follow the argument wherever it leads. And that played a major role in Flew's reversal of belief at the age of 80. In 2004, he shocked the world with his book, There Is a God, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind. In May of that year, 2004, he was at a symposium in New York City. And he shared then what had happened to him. He said, the research of DNA has demonstrated the enormous complexities of life that point to the work of intelligence. And then he said, because of that research, that research, quote, represented a major change, of course, for me. Yes, it did. He had been a notorious atheist that said there is no God. And he said, that evidence represented a major course correction in my life. But it was nevertheless, listen, consistent with the principle I have embraced since the beginning of my philosophical life of following the argument no matter where it leads. See, faith is not the dismissal of facts as so many people believe. It's a journey of following the evidence that ultimately leads to Christ. Everything in creation points to Christ. That's what David would write about in Psalm 19. He says, the heavens declare your majesty. 
Paul would write about that in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and following. He says, you look at creation, the creation is screaming that there is a God. And for that reason, man is without excuse. Another scientist living in the 17th century, Blaise Pascal, scientist, mathematician, philosopher, theologian, he spoke to the issue of doubt hundreds of years ago. He gave what's called Pascal's wager. In its most simplistic form, it goes like this. If I live my life believing there is a God, and it turns out there's not a God when I die, I've lost nothing. But if I live my life believing there isn't a God, and it turns out there is a God, then I've lost everything. That's what doubt can do to us if we refuse to follow the evidence. And we can be like Thomas and follow the evidence right to the point of kneeling and professing that Christ is Lord. The beauty of today is we don't have to cancel out the benefits of Easter. We can let Jesus cancel out the power and penalty of sin in our lives. Notice what happens to each of these historical figures that we discussed today when they had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. We saw that, that Mary was weeping, overwhelmed with grief. We saw that the disciples were afraid for their lives. We saw that Thomas had doubts. But when each one of them had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, Mary's tears were turned into joy. The disciples' fears were turned into peace. And Thomas's doubts were turned into belief. And Jesus can do the exact same thing for each of us. Timothy Keller is a New York Times bestselling author, and he's the founder of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. In a discussion about his most recent book, Hope in Times of Fear, he stated, Eventually, everyone will get to the place where it matters personally whether the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened. Keller has spent his whole life immersed in seeking God. And in his quests for intimacy with Christ, it has exponentially been deepened during this season of battling pancreatic cancer. And what he is saying is whether through illness or disappointment, or crisis, death, or the final judgment. All of us will eventually come to the point where Jesus' resurrection really matters to us personally. So the question for us today is, does Jesus' resurrection really matter to you personally? Have you flipped the script and let Jesus cancel the power and penalty of sin in your life? And if you haven't done that already, are you ready to receive the benefits of Jesus' resurrection today? You can. God loves you, and he has created you to have a relationship with him. But Easter reminds us that that doesn't happen on our own. It's not just something that we can earn through our good works because we have a huge problem. The Old Testament as well as the New Testament tell us 
that our sin separates us from holy God. But thankfully, Jesus came to resolve that problem. That's what Easter is all about. He resolves the problem of our sin separating us from holy God. And all we have to do is to receive that gift by humbly repenting of our sins and saying, I'm not going to follow after my sins anymore. I'm going to follow after Jesus. And we fully surrender all that we are and all that we have to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, I pray that you would join me in this prayer in just a moment to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is indeed the greatest need of anyone's life. But it can be resolved in a moment, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. And for all the rest of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, is there something in our life? Is, is there some conventional thinking that is canceling out the full power of Jesus working in our lives? Do any of us here today have fears about what other people might think or, or what, the, might, what, what they might do? Or do we just have ge general fears that are canceling out the power, the peace, and the joy of what Christ has done? Jesus died on the cross not to make us just a little bit better. He died on the cross and was resurrected from the tomb so that we could be tra transformed into the very image of who he is. And maybe you have some doubts. Doubts are okay. As long as you leverage those doubts to discover the truth. And I pray that for all of us, none of those doubts are keeping us from the power of Christ in our lives. So let's pray together on this Easter celebration. God, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have of celebrating collectively together in this room what you have done for us, something that none of us would ever be able to do on our own. Through your love and mercy for us, because of who you are and the fact that you lived a sinless life, to die on the cross for the penalty of our sins, and then to be brought back to life by the power of who you are, demonstrating that you really are God, God Almighty, and that you can give us eternal and abundant life. Lord, if anyone in this room today has not yet committed themselves completely to you and received you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would pray a prayer similar to this, not a magical prayer, but just a prayer that voices the cry of their heart, Lord Jesus. I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Father, for all of us collectively, in this room and listening online, pray that we wouldn't let anything cancel out your power and presence in our lives. Lord, that we would give you full access, all access passed to our life and surrender everything that we have to you. Lord, thank you for what Easter means. You have demonstrated that you are the ultimate conqueror over all things. And you've invited us to join you in relationship where we can be more than conquerors through our mighty Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And, you know, I hope that somebody made 
a next step towards Christ. Maybe you're not yet a Christian, but today you said, I made that step. Maybe you're already a Christian and you said, you know, there have been some things in my life that really have been canceling out the power of what Jesus has done, and I'm going to surrender those to the Lord today. And we can do that right now in this, this time of worship as we sing. You can use this communication card in the pew in front of you if you want to just write on there how we can contact you, and we'll be in touch to, to try to answer any questions, pray with you, whatever you might need. And you can just drop that off at the hospitality desk on your way out. We'll be standing by the cross. We'll have staff member over by the windows. Some people will be standing out in the room. I'm going to ask that our deacon of the day go over to the prayer room with your wife and just be there to pray with people. And you can go over there if you'd like someone to pray with you during this song. So let's stand together and let's truly with all of our hearts celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the dead rose from their tomb.